Hey guys, it's Mackenzie. Happy New Year? Oh my word, it's 2023 already. I can't believe it. I wanted to come to you. First of all, I did not forget about you or podcasting. It's just really difficult to edit and record and meet with people when the school year starts. There's so much happening. And so I did take time over the break and I sat down with a couple of people and I'm going to bring their stories to you at the beginning of this year, mostly because their messages are incredible. Today's message comes from Blair and Blair, if you get nothing else out of this, it's to always have hope. In the darkest of times, when Blair felt like she, there was not hope, there was no, like she was not going to get what she wanted, she still had hope. <laughs> I, she is such an inspiration. And I, I'm, first of all, I'm so shocked that she finally sat down and shared her story because she's just such a private person. But Blair also shares because she wants people to know they're not alone. She wants you to know that there are other avenues. There are people out there experiencing the same thing. And she is not staying quiet about her story. I am very proud of her and I'm so excited to share her story with you. Happy New Year, guys. All right, I am sitting here with Blair and she um, has a very unique story about infertility that's a little bit different from Elisa's. We'll go that route. Um, and I, I want you to share your story. Some people aren't going to know this, but it's for the second time. <laughs> <laughs> um, thanks to technology. Um, but first of all, you're a teacher. Yes. How long have you been teaching? I have been teaching for nine years. And, um, you got married, you're, you taught for one year. I yes. learned this just a minute ago. <laughs> you uh, taught for a year and then we got married that summer. Married. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so then you wanted to start a family. Yeah. What was your <clears throat> thought process through that? So we, um, were kind of nonchalant about it. We had been together for a long time before we got married. And, um, once we got married, we just kind of enjoyed the two of us for the first two years. And then, um, after our second anniversary, we just kind of decided like, we're not really like saying that we're super ready to have a baby, like right this second, but we can stop preventing. And if it happens, it happens. And like, um, it'll, it'll happen when it's supposed to happen. So we just were in the mindset of we're not trying, but we're not gonna stop it from happening. Um, yeah. Okay. And so you went to the doctor, of course, all of this is taking place. Like you're starting to figure out like, Oh, we're going to have a family. Mm -hmm. And then you start figuring out that things are going to work happening. Yeah. (laughs) About the same time that COVID happened and the world shuts down. So you go to your first appointment. Yeah. So I had been two, well, it had been one year, one full year since we stopped preventing. And I was like, "Mm, it's kind of weird. Like nothing, I'm not pregnant. Like we haven't had any quote unquote scares. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm probably, I should mention this at my annual, doctor's appointment. So I did, and I saw the PA, she's great there. And she was just like, okay, yeah, that's not like, that's not, I, 
deal, but it's not super concerning yet. Like, let's give it another year. Um, since your body was on birth control for a while, like, let's give it just a little more time to regulate and um, just we'll give it another year and see how it goes. So we gave it another year and still nothing. Um, and at this point, it was kind of starting to sink in that, like, okay, something's probably wrong um, because it should have happened by now. Um, so at my next annual appointment, so two years since we stopped preventing, um, I mentioned it again and they were a little more concerned this time and took it a little more seriously. And they decided to do an ultrasound to check for endometriosis, um, because I've always had like some pretty painful cycles. Um, so we did the ultrasound and everything looked great. Um, my sweet doctor was like, your body looks awesome. Like everything looks awesome. It's begging for a baby which was really great news, but then it left us to assume that there was something going on with my husband, Trace. So my doctor ordered a semen analysis, <clears throat> which is just as fun as it sounds, and I had to be the one to go home and tell him that that's what we needed to do. So <laughs> it was, luckily we were able to laugh about it and it was fine. Um, it was an adventure. Um, to get it to the lab <laughs> in time, because um, you only have like a certain amount of time to get it there mm-hmm. before like the sample is no longer valid. Yes, and it has to stay warm. It like does. I've heard. Yes. Yeah. I. Yeah. I won't get into the details, but <laughs> it was an adventure. You popped it in the cooler. Got no. it. <laughs> <laughs> no, they actually told me to put it under my arm while I'm driving. Oh, so. really? <laughs> yeah. So we did that, and it took like two weeks before we heard anything. Um, I was at work, working a little bit late that day. Um, pretty much everybody else had gone home, so thankfully I was had some privacy when my phone rang, and it was my doctor. And he, I could tell immediately by his voice that he was somber, and it was probably not going to be great news. Um, I did not know this at the time, so I wasn't, like, I didn't understand the magnitude of what he was about to tell me, but um, in a typical sample, there should be, like, millions, hundreds of millions of sperm, Um, and Trace's sample had zero. So, like, a lot, it's not super uncommon for men to have, like, a low sperm count, but to have zero is pretty drastic. Um, So, he referred us to a fertility doctor in Atlanta. Um, that specializes in male fertility. I had to go home and tell my husband that it is indeed something going on with you, Mm -hmm. Um, which I have always tried to be so, like, respectful and careful and, like, this is an us thing. It's not, like, a me thing or a you thing. It's an us Mm -hmm. thing. Um, But it's not ever easy to give someone that news. Um, And then I also had to kind of like not be upset about it myself because I didn't want him to feel like I was disappointed in him or that I had like any regrets. I mean, which of course I didn't and I did not feel that way at all. Um, but I didn't want his imagination to run wild. Um, so we still at this point were pretty hopeful that this could be fixed. Um, we had, we knew a couple of people who had, issues like this and they were able to take medicine or do certain procedures and then carry on like normal. Um, 
Are these people like in the community or that you've met? A lot of people meet people on social mm-hmm. media. Yeah. Like at this point, it was people like friends of friends okay. that we knew. Um, there is like, a couple at church or um, a friend of somebody that I work with. Because mm-hmm. um, we hadn't like told a ton of people this information yet, but it was interesting. Like once we did open up about it, they were like, "Oh, well, so and so had that," or "I know somebody right. who did this." So it's like nobody wants to talk about it, but it's it's way more common than we think. Um, which is why I've been so open about our journey, like on social media, mm-hmm. because I feel like there's no reason to not talk about it. Like right. people need to feel yeah, not alone. You need yeah. to feel like there's a community mm-hmm. of people who've been through this. Um, which is weird for you because you're such a private person. Yeah, I mean the fact <laughs> that I'm doing this right now is so outside I'll of my normal. I've you a hundred times. <laughs> I prefer written words, <laughs> communication. <laughs> um. Okay, so you are starting to hear that there's people. So you're not alone. Right, yeah. And that was helpful. Yeah, that was really helpful. And we, like, those people had success. So that was encouraging. Mm -hmm. So, like you said, this was 2020, and the world was, like, shutting down. And so we had a really hard time even getting anybody to answer the phone at the fertility clinic in Atlanta for months. Finally, we were able to get an appointment in July of 2020. And... He um, did some blood work and found that um, Trace's testosterone was lower than it should be, so he started him on Clomid, which I thought was just for women, mm-hmm. but um, it it works for men too, and his body did actually respond really well to that. His numbers came up, um, but unfortunately, the samples stayed the same. There was still no sperm. So we, gosh, I guess he did the Clomid for... July to oh, really about a year he was on Clomid. Um, just the doctor kept saying, like, let's give it some more time. Let's give it some more time and see what it does. Um, and then in April of 2021, they decided that Trace needed a procedure to remove some vein. They were basically like varicose veins that were causing some issues, like blocking um, thing. Just... I don't really know all the details, but it was causing problems is what they said. So bless his heart. He had a procedure done that was not fun to remove those. And, um, I mean, he was in recovery at home. It was an outpatient Mm -hmm. procedure, but he was like laid up in the bed for several days. Um, and then we were told to give that three to six months to see change in his samples after the procedure. So we did some more waiting. He stayed on the Clomid, and um, we did several more samples, but there was still no sperm. So at this point, we're kind of like starting to be a little discouraged. Um, but again, we know that this is all happening like for a reason, and that mm-hmm. there's a plan and there's a purpose. So we just stayed with it. And kind of the last thing that we could try was a sperm extraction surgery. Um, And to do that, they kind of have to line it up with me to do IVF so that we are both having our egg retrieval and our sperm extraction surgery at the same time. Um, And so we had to decide if IVF was something we wanted to do. And we, I mean, we definitely had conversations about it, like the pros, the cons. Um, I think the main reason we decided to move forward with it is because I didn't want to look back 10 years from now and wonder, like, 
what would have happened? Like, would it have worked? Or um, is that something we should have tried? Um, So I didn't want to regret not trying that. So we started IVF in October of 2021. Um, So I had like a month of shots, daily shots, um, taking medicine, going for ultrasounds like every three days to um, see how my body was responding to the medicine and the shots. Um, I was not pumped about the shots at all. Like I, I thought I'd be able to do them myself, but I could not, (laughs) I could not. And Trace was like a rock star. He gave me every single shot. Um, and that really helped. And it also kind of, it helped us keep the mindset of like, this is an us Mm -hmm. thing. It's not a me thing or a you thing. It's an us thing. Is he having to do medicines as well during this time or just, just the Clomid. The Clomid. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Just the Clomid. So, um, we prepared for IVF. We did all of the protocol. And then once my eggs were ready for retrieval, um, they scheduled his sperm extraction surgery the day before. So he had that done on like a Monday morning and was in a terrible, terrible amount of pain when he got home. Um, and thankfully we had tons of friends and family who would come over and bring food or just come like hang out and try to take his mind or our mind off of it. Um, cause at this point, like where we were used to the surgery route, like it wasn't something that like we tried to hide from anybody. I mean, they, all of our close people knew what was going on. Um, so they were a huge help to have like in our corner. Um, we had been told that we would get a phone call that afternoon letting us know if the surgery had been a success or if what they were able to find was usable. So we waited and waited and waited and there was no phone call. And then finally at nine o'clock that night, um, the doctor called and he gave us the worst news, which was there, they were not able to find any sperm. Um, and that was kind of like, the final nail in the coffin is what it felt like. Um, and I mean, we both cried, but like I've never, and I never want to again see Trace that upset. Um, it was, it like just broke my heart to watch him. Not so much to like know the news that we had just found out, but just to see him go through, it was absolutely terrible. Um, so we, told our family and they were equally upset I and mean, we just had, we had to grieve because it was like we lost the future that we mm-hmm. thought we would have um and then I still had an egg retrieval procedure the next, <laughs> the day. next day oh my gosh yeah so I at this point I was like I don't even want to do the egg retrieval anymore like I don't want to go through this I don't want to have surgery like I don't want to do this um I called my, one of the nurses that had been working with me really closely and she cried with me on the phone. And then we, um, she encouraged me to just go ahead and go through with it. Cause I've come this far, put all this work in, all this money in, like we might as well go ahead and retrieve the eggs and we can just put them on ice. Um, that way, if anything changes in the future, mm-hmm. the eggs are there, we can use them or not use them whenever we want to. Um, <clears throat> so that's what we did. And my sister came and got me that morning to take me to Atlanta because um, Trace was not in 
shape to drive anywhere. He could like not get out of the bed. Um, so my sister came and she, I think we listened to like Backstreet Boys on the way. <laughs> she tried to, she pulled out all the tricks to like try to take my <laughs> That's mind. That's what good sisters yeah. do. <laughs> take my mind off of it. Um, and she waited in the waiting room with me and then finally they called me back and the egg retrieval is kind of a blur to me because like I was not feeling it. Like I was not into it, mm-hmm. was not excited, but, um, it went really smoothly. Um, everything went great. Um, they were able to get like 18 mature eggs, which is a really good number. Um, so we put those on ice and, um, just kept them in storage in case anything should change in the future. And then we just took some time to grieve, like I said, um, and just process like what this means for next steps. Um, and I mean, cause like the next obvious step would be adoption. Mm-hmm. Um, and because, as a sperm donor, you, yeah, you could do that, but that's definitely an option. And mm-hmm. we, we had a, conversation about it and we both just kind of felt like if it if the baby is not going to be from both of our DNA Mm -hmm. like it might as well be from neither of us um so you're talking adoption yeah 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 and this was like several months after the failed IVF cycle um I started really reading I mean, I, I am a reader. Like, I need to, I'm a researcher. I need to know mm-hmm. all the things, all the options. And I had already done a ton of reading about, like, IVF. And I have, like, a stack of books in my bedroom that I need to kind of can finally get rid of because I don't want to look at them anymore. <laughs> um, but anyways, I started reading about adoption. And I joined these Facebook groups because I had a friend from college who um, adopted privately. Um, like didn't go through an agency and it was so much cheaper and um, it was faster like she just avoided a lot of the red tape and the wait times and all of that so I joined to this Facebook group um, where birth moms can join kind of like anonymously and they can scope out these these families that want to adopt and then they can reach out to you like through Facebook Messenger. Um, And sometimes they would like, the birth mom would post a little bit about herself and about like her pregnancy and when her babies do and all of that stuff anonymously. And people could comment on it and say like, hey, we're so-and-so and and we live in Georgia and we would love to adopt. And just a couple, some people would write like paragraphs in these comments about them and like 15 pictures and I had not commented on anything at this point because I was still just like feeling it out. And um, then one day this this birth mom posted and I don't know why I felt like drawn to her. Um, and there were all, she had posted 20 minutes ago. Like the post had been up there for 20 minutes and there were already like 400 comments. I mean, there are so many people that want to adopt and there just aren't that many babies. Um, and so I was like, well, this is a seriously long shot, but I'm just going to post a couple sentences about us. Mm-hmm. So I literally posted like three sentences and put one picture of us at a Georgia game. And, um, she messaged me and I was like, Oh, like that's really happening. <laughs> like, what did I just do? Right. <laughs> I mean, I kind of freaked out for a minute. 
Um, because I had no idea what I would, like, I don't know how to do this on my own. Like Mm -hmm. I, we, we don't know the, the steps or like the legal requirements and she doesn't either. She was really young. So I was like, what are we doing? So anyways, we talked for a couple of days, like back and forth on messenger. She's really sweet. Um, and then she, um, she let us know that she had decided to go with another family. And while I, I, first I was like, okay, I can breathe Mm -hmm. again. Like that was a little scary. And then I was like, well, wait a minute, what's wrong with us? (laughs) Why wouldn't you pick us? (laughs) Um, but I think that was a really good experience because it kind of, uh, it gave me some clarity of like what direction we want to go. And that we definitely weren't ruling out adoption, but I wasn't sure I was comfortable with a private adoption, like an independent on my own kind of thing. So, um, in all my reading, I had stumbled upon embryo adoption, and I had never heard of that before. Like, most people have never heard of that before. Um, but it's basically when a couple goes through IVF and they're successful, they are able, the embryologist will make as many embryos as they can. So they'll take all the eggs they got from mom and all the sperm they got from dad and make as many embryos as they can. Um, Because not every embryo is going to implant successfully and and result in a healthy pregnancy and a live birth. So they want to make as many as they can so that the parents have as many as they need to get the family Mm -hmm. that they're looking for. So sometimes this can be like 10, 15, 20 embryos. And like, who's going to have that many kids? I mean, not me, (laughs) not me. So I'm actually a little thankful that our IVF journey ended the way that it did Mm -hmm. because I, I don't know how I would have handled that situation because then you have to make this like heartbreaking decision of what to do with any leftover embryos that you have. So, I mean, if you've done four embryo transfers and have four healthy babies and kids at home, like that might be all that your family can handle. And then you have to decide what to do with the rest of your embryos. Um, and we believe that those embryos are, are lives. Like they, at that point, they are people, um, like they have souls. And thankfully there are people who choose to donate their leftover embryos, um, which I can't even imagine making that decision to know that like your DNA is going to be raised by somebody else. Um, I mean, like, I think adoption is a beautiful thing, but like, I can't imagine giving my own child up for adoption, you know? So that was just really interesting to read about. So I read about it a lot. I talked to my family about it. Um, Trace and I talked to his family about it and it just seemed really interesting and like, it just wouldn't go away. Like it just stayed with us. Um, and we kept thinking about it and it just, and then the more I thought about it and read about it, the more convicted I was that like, there's all these embryos in babies that are just sitting on ice and like, they deserve a shot at life. Um, so we, we reached out to my, our pastor too. I was like, Hey, have you ever heard of this? Like, is this, cause whatever we decide to do, we want it to glorify God. So like, mm-hmm. is this something that like we should pursue and he was wonderful. He knew a family who had done it. Um, he gave me a book about it that that family had written. Um, and he said that it was a beautiful way to build a family. And then it was very, it was honoring 
to God. Um, and so that was really all the encouragement I needed. So we decided to move forward with that. Um, and again, I joined some Facebook groups because you can match up privately that way too. Um, you can, there are agencies like, like there's regular adoption agencies. There are embryo adoption agencies too. So, um, we could have gone with an agency or you can match privately, like by meeting someone on social media or friends of friends. Um, and it was kind of the same setup, like people who had embryos that they were ready to donate would post and then people could comment on it. Um, or you might post a, like a profile about yourself and then people who had embryos to donate could reach out to you. Um, and we did actually end up pretty much matching with a family, um, through Facebook and they're a great, beautiful family. And we just hit it off immediately. Like she was using words like y'all and I was like, okay, <laughs> you're my people. <laughs> um, and they just lived like a couple states over. So it wasn't like super far. Um, so then once we decided like, Hey, we like you. And they were like, yeah, we like you too. Like, let's do this. I called my clinic. Um, cause you still have to have a doctor to perform the transfer. So I called my clinic to see what the steps were to use a private known donor. And unfortunately there were like crazy hoops to jump through. And this family had just had their last baby. Like they had a newborn and it was just so, so time consuming that I didn't feel like I could ask them to do it. And she also was like, man, that's a bummer. Like, I just, I wish I had the time and wasn't so crazy busy right now with like four kids and a newborn. Um, so I just kind of like let them off the hook. Like we're going to just stick with our clinic. Cause we had already, I should have said this before we were put on a, um, wait list with our clinic for a, an embryo donation, but they told us it could be three to 12 months. So in those three to 12 months is when I joined all these Facebook groups and like tried to make it happen myself. Um, so anyways, I told this lady that I had matched with that, um, it was just, I could not ask her to do all of these things and that I wanted her to feel like she could pursue some other couples and talk to other people and see if she could find another better fit. So she did. Um, and we just continued to wait and, I think that phone call that I made to ask about the process of using a known donor kind of like sparked a relationship with the um, like coordinator, embryo adoption coordinator at our clinic. Um, she was a literal angel like sent from God. I mean, she, she called me the following week and she was like, hey, um, I just wanted you to know that I'm actually leaving the clinic. And I was like, oh no, like I just made this great relationship with you and you're leaving, like what, what does that mean? She's like, well, um, I've got two weeks left and I'm afraid they're gonna shut the, the program down, the embryo pro adoption program down um, until they're able to find a replacement for me. And so I thought she was calling to tell me that like we needed to go somewhere else because it wasn't gonna happen with them. Um, and she, but then she said, but after talking with you, you've just always been so kind when you call and ask questions. And I know you said you're a teacher and I just have a special place in my heart for teachers. I wouldn't be where I am today without special teachers. She's like, I just really want to get you guys set up before I go. And I was like, what? Because <laughs> she had literally just told me it would be like another three months before we were 
at a, a point in the list where we could be matched. Um, and so I cried. She and I both cried on the phone. <laughs> and she, was, she asked me some questions about, like, what um, kind of embryo we're looking for. She's like, do you... Because we had to send in pictures of ourselves. Like, they try to match you physically with the embryo that they are going to give you. Um, she's like, do you care about hair color, eye color? I was like, no, you can give me... I mean, we, my husband and I both have dark hair, dark eyes. Well, Trace has blue eyes. But... Um, my, like our whole family has dark hair and I was like no you can give me a blonde hair blue eyed baby or you can give me a redhead like I don't I don't care <laughs> um and she's like okay okay I'll have a couple profiles I want to send you and so we got off the phone and um I was dying to call Trace and tell him this I was like no let's wait like let me use this as a chance to surprise him because when you have infertility you lose like all mm. ability to surprise, like have those fun surprises. So I was like, yes, I can finally surprise him with something. So um, by the time he got home, she had sent me an email. She told me she was allowed to give me three profiles to look at of embryos. Um, and she sent me five. <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you, like she was sent from God, like she's an angel. And um, like that just was so reassuring that like God's hand was all over this because there's no way this should have worked out the way that it worked out. Um, so I had printed all five of the profiles and had them laid out on the table when Trace got home. And um, he was ecstatic, just like I was. And the, it was so interesting to read through the profiles because, like, you get to know. Unfortunately, they're anonymous. Um, so I, I don't know names of parents or families. But you get to see, like, their physical characteristics, like what color hair, what color eyes, um, religion. And you get to see, like, their health history, family health history. So, like, I feel like I know more about our donor's family history than I do about my own. <laughs> um, and they, most of them even included a picture of, like, a biological sibling of the embryo. So you can kind of see, like, what they might look like. Um, and that, so we went from really, really excited and like super shocked and thankful to really, really overwhelmed because we had five like amazing profiles to look at and pick one. Um, so we thought about it. We read them over and over. We prayed about it like a million times and we did finally choose one. Um, and she, it was just amazing. Like she made all of this happen within that two weeks before she left. We signed papers. We signed all the legal documents. Like, you've been going years. Yeah. Like, and this like was stretched. Yes. This was stretched out for so long. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> yeah. it was like everything fell into place, um, which was just really cool. So, we once we, like, signed all the paperwork, did the legal stuff, we were the – we had rights to that embryo. And it was just one, um, which is all we – really want I mean we just want one healthy baby and we will be perfectly happy um but we also know that like the chances of your first transfer being successful are not definitely not 100% like we still knew that this might not be the end of the journey um so anyways we started the process to get ready for the embryo transfer that took about two months um, and I had to do shots all over again. It was, there were different shots than the IVF, but there were still like shots in my stomach. And then 
when we got closer to the transfer, I had to start progesterone shots, which are awful. They're, it's like an oil, um, and they're intramuscular shots. So they have to like go deep, like into a muscle, like in your upper, your hip, like, like right above your butt, basically. Um, and they're not fun. They're pretty painful. Um, but again, Trace was a rock star. He gave me all of those. And we finally figured out like all the tricks, like using heat and massage to like make the oil like spread out and move around so that it doesn't, cause like you can develop knots and lumps and it's just not fun and it's pretty painful. So we did that for a while. Um, and then we had our embryo transfer at the end of August and that was the first time. So we went in and that was super fast, like less than five minutes. And they had like put this little teeny tiny microscopic embryo inside me and they say, you're pregnant until proven otherwise. So it was like, it was crazy. It happened in five minutes. Yeah. So wild. <laughs> um, and they gave us a little picture of our embryo too. So that was pretty cool. And then we had to wait. You're supposed to wait two weeks um, until you go back for a blood test and to determine if you're pregnant or not. But nobody waits two right. weeks. <laughs> I think I started taking tests like four days after the transfer. <laughs> um, and I mean, of course, at first there were like no lines, but I knew it was because I was testing way too early. Um, but eventually the lines started, like there was a, a teeny tiny faint line. And then the next day it would be just a little bit darker. And then the next day a little bit darker. And then finally the day before I went in for my blood test, I took a digital and like the word pregnant showed up. And I was mm -hmm. like, oh, oh my gosh, this like actually worked. <laughs> um, so that was crazy. I mean, those days were really fun because we were just like living our best life. And right. It felt like everything was finally happening. Um, How long did you wait before you told, like, your family? Well, so that's interesting because most people don't tell. Like, if you get pregnant naturally, usually you wait mm -hmm. a good bit before you start to tell anybody. But our story was so different, and I was so open on social media about the whole process. Like, everyone knew that I was getting ready for a transfer. So everyone knew that I should be finding out soon if I was pregnant. Um, and most people were really good about not asking me. Like my, bless my co-teacher's heart, she could like not even look me in the eye. <laughs> She's like, I can't look at you because I'm gonna like read into it or I'm gonna be too tempted to ask you if you've taken a test. Um, so we waited until the blood test, even though we knew it was pretty, we're pretty confident that we were pregnant because of all the tests that we had taken. We waited for the blood test. Um, and then the next day, we surprised our family um, that we were pregnant. It was, it was cool. It was the best time. Okay, so you are due when? I'm due May 12th. Oh, gosh. Yeah. That's, like, really soon. I know. I'm, like, a little over halfway already. <laughs> That's so exciting. Yeah. So, like... This is such a unique process. Yeah. And you've, of course, you've seen the siblings. And so you kind of guess, like, our baby might look like this. Yeah. But we don't know. Yeah. It's, it's really cool because the um, donor profile tells you, like I said, tells you physical characteristics of the, like, biological mom and dad. And they're kind of the opposite of me and Trace. Um, like, I have, like, kind of olive skin and dark hair, dark eyes. And the bio dad has that. 
And then Trace has a little bit lighter brown hair with like blue eyes and pretty fair skin. And the bio mom has that. So I was like, huh, this could end up being like a good mix of like yeah. what we would look like if we had it, you that know, if we had a baby. so fun. Um, but there, I will tell you, the biological sibling is blonde hair, blue eyes. So <laughs> that's okay. Yeah, we don't know. We don't know what's gonna come out of me. It's it'll be a surprise. <laughs> That'll be fun. So, did you find out if you're having a boy or a girl? Yes, we are having a boy. Which I felt like I was having a boy from the beginning. I don't know why. It's weird. And I had a couple dreams where it was a boy, and then then like day before I went for my ultrasound, where we were gonna find out. I dreamed it was a girl. I was like, what is happening? <laughs> I've been so confident this whole time. Um, so we had our ultrasound where we found out the gender on a Monday. And our gender reveal with our family was not until that Saturday. So I had to keep that secret all week. Oh. Again, bless my co-teacher's heart. She was, she's been like, both of them actually have been fantastic the whole time. Um, but they just kind of... I was like, I can't talk about it because I might slip up and use a pronoun. And so they would just say, she, how's she feeling this morning? I mean, like not trying to get me to slip up, but just joking around about it. So we had a lot of fun that week. And then the reveal was awesome. It was really fun. And we um, also revealed the name, which was sweet because um, his... So his name's Barrett, but his middle name is Joseph, which is my dad's first name. So that was fun to tell my family that. So it's been a lot of fun. I think, oh, I'm not crying. <laughs> you know, I met your mom, what, eight years, years ago, ago whatever? Yeah. And she was my pair pro and just a phenomenal human being. And all she wanted. Oh, I know. <laughs> was a grandchild. I know. And so, like, it's been so fun to, like. I think she's so, she's probably more excited than you are. Oh, yeah, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so that's been really Mm -hmm. fun to, like, just watch and hear her stories. And Mm -hmm. because her story is, you know, similar because she's telling your story, but it's just a different side. Oh, yeah. She just felt so heartbroken. She she had to grieve, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All of our families did. Um, But yeah, she. You're right. All she's ever wanted is a grandbaby. <laughs> right. Like, she just loves babies. Um, like, my pets, my dog and my cats, have called her Mimi for years <laughs> because that's just who she wants to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and now she gets to be Mimi. So, for every um, holiday or birthday or anything we've had since I found out I was pregnant, she gets something with the word Mimi on it. Oh. And I'm like, I'm, you're probably tired of all the Mimi stuff. She's like, no, I am not. <laughs> she is Mimi. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so exciting. Yeah. Um, all right. So I know, like, you're going to have this baby. Do you think you'll do another one? Like, what's your thought process? Um, now that you've done this. Yeah. I... And the baby's not even born yet. This is a terrible question. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think we're done. I mean, we're not ruling out a miracle. Like, mm-hmm. people say all the time, which kind of drives me up the wall, when they say, like, all you have to do is adopt and then you'll get pregnant. But, like, it happens. My friend who adopted privately, like, ended up pregnant within the next year Mm -hmm. on her own. And she had had multiple miscarriages before that. Mm -hmm. Um, So, like, I know it can happen. We're not ruling out a miracle at all. And if that's what happens, fantastic. But uh, we're not going to try to make that happen. (laughs) Um, And I don't think I want to go through another 
embryo transfer. Um, I don't know. I'm not going to say no for sure, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, at this point, we'll just be very happy with one yes. healthy baby. That's exciting. Yeah. Okay, so I really appreciate you being open and honest about yeah. this. Um, you did share that you're writing a book. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But back when I had a lot more time on my hands over yeah. the summer, I started writing all of this story down. And it probably will never become like a legit mm-hmm. book. But um, I had a friend who from college who had gone through IVF when I first like announced publicly that we were going to do IVF. And she shared with me, a journal that she had kept throughout the whole thing. And it was so helpful to like, Oh, well she was on this medicine. Or if I ever had any questions of like, I wonder what time she took that medicine. Cause you have to take it at like certain times. And I would just go read her journal and it was so helpful. So I was like, I'm going to write all of this down. Yeah. That way it, it, if nothing else, I can just like share a PDF with somebody mm-hmm. if they ever, um, go through something similar or they can just listen to your story yeah (laughs) yes at nine o'clock she took (laughs) um all right so I always end by asking um you know I have a teacher bag Mm -hmm. um I shared this in the last one that I just recorded um Winnie ate my teacher bag oh no and so um Winnie is pretty um but she ate my teacher bag poor Winnie my loved teacher bag is no more um, what is like your one thing, you know, I ask like items and yeah. people are sharing such like unique things that mean so much more than just like a pen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but what is like your one thing that you would have to share? Um, I don't want it to sound like, I don't know, like not unique, but cause I'm sure people have said this. But, like, you, I just, I could not have gone through this without my people. Um, And those people include my people at school. I mean, I spend more time with those people than, Mm -hmm. like, my family. Um, So, and they've been with me from the beginning. Like, when we first got the male factor infertility diagnosis, my team was amazing. And they were just with me every step of the way and like nobody knows what to say but like you don't have to say anything Mm -hmm. like you just have to be there um and then the following year I was with a different team of teachers at the same school um but that's when I went through IVF and they have been such cheerleaders for us and I after my egg retrieval I don't think I shared this but I had a pretty rough recovery um I was a little bit over um stimulated by all of the drugs and so I was in a lot of pain and I had to, I ended up taking like a week off of work. Whereas like a lot of people are totally fine the very next day. Mm-hmm. And I was also grieving because we had just found out Trace's news as well. And they were constantly checking on me, offering to bring dinner, sending me DoorDash gift cards. <laughs> and when I finally was able to make it back to school, I, ca- I walked into my classroom and there was this beautifully put together gift basket on my desk with all these sweet things and just like things to make you feel better candles and chocolate and all the good stuff um and I just like burst into tears it's like guys I barely made it five minutes into the building (laughs) I'm already crying um but they've just been fantastic and I can't imagine going through this without them and even into like when we were considering embryo adoption and like starting to research that process like we would just sit at recess and talk about my life every day. And <laughs> I was like, I'm, I'm not trying to hog the conversation. I'm really not. And they're like, no, let's talk about it. 
Um, so they're just fantastic. And I, I could not have gone through this without them and our family. And of course, God, I mean, we, I've journaled and journaled and a prayer journal and, um, I just can't imagine having any hope through this process without that. So you got to have your people. Yes, I agree. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Yeah. And I'm excited for your future. Yeah, and me Barrett. too. Yeah. <laughs> All right.